Welcome back to Nerd Hours, everyone. I'm Alice. I'm Dan. And we will be doing Celtic mythology today. The lovely Alice will be helping me out. Give her a round of applause. Thank you, love. <laughs> Let's begin with, of course, the four common elements. Separation. Succession, usually of power. Ascent of male over female. And, of course, dragon slaying. So, with that intro out of the way, let us get into Celtic mythology. Firstly, I will let you know that this episode only covers the longest Celtic creation story that I found. Given the vast expanse of land that the Celts once controlled, which I'll get into in just a moment, there were numerous creation stories that varied widely. Some, yeah. some begin with a seafoam horse, one begins with melting giants, and one with two gods named Don and Danu that explains why suffering exists. So I will be covering the first one about the seafoam horse, though I do have links about the other two stories, should anyone be interested. Just go onto our Twitter and look at our sources for that one. Mm -hmm. So we actually know very little about Celtic traditions and mythology because the majority of this was passed down through oral tradition. When the Roman Empire seized control of the Celtic lands, most notably in the Gallic War, most of their culture was destroyed in the process. So most of the information that we have from these regions actually comes from a Roman perspective, so, much of the information that we even have on Celtic mythos and what their traditions were like has been twisted by both a Christian lens and a language barrier. Yeah, yikes. That's also kind of like a thing with like Norse mythology too, a little bit. I would imagine so. And personally, as someone who has majority English and Irish heritage in particular, it really saddens me to know that cultures that I came from have very little information about it should I want to learn about where I came from. Mm -hmm. So, using that as a segue, let's get into a quick history lesson about the Celtic lands. Celtic tribes used to control the majority of Europe. In 800 BC, Celtic control spanned from northern France to Poland and even the northernmost parts of Italy, which is a huge span. Yeah. And by 260 BC, it finally expanded north into what is now the United Kingdom. It also spread west into Spain and even parts of Portugal, and all the way east through Ukraine, Romania, and it even had a small section in Turkey. Then the Romans happened! Yeehaw! The Roman Empire quickly conquered almost all of the Celtic settlements, and by 117 AD, the Celts were pushed all the way back to the confines of just Scotland and Ireland. Not ideal. These days, we often associate Celtic mythology with solely the United Kingdom, but in reality, the Celtic tribes had major influence over the majority of Europe, particularly in what is now France, or as it was known back then, Gaul. In fact, this is where our creation story starts. So long before France, or as it was known back then, Gaul, there was no time, gods, or even people. There was only the sea and land. And when the sea and land met, a white mare called Ayoha was born. There are a million different pronunciations of this name, and I shall butcher them all. Here, I can give one. Ayoha. Thank you for your beautiful Dutch pronunciation that was way more correct than mine. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> well, from the land, a large oak tree sprouted to feed Ayoha, and this tree dropped seeds made from sea foam, which was also what Ayoha was made of, so, uh, cannibalism? I mean, it depends how you treat it. Like, so, you know how in science, it's generally agreed that everything came from, like, a single cell. It spawned everything. So, we are 
related to everything we eat, with varying degrees of closeness. That is fair, but this definitely reminds me of the Tumblr meme with the little pumpkin man in his pumpkin home. He screams where he is made out of his own flesh. <laughs> gingerbread men in gingerbread home. Exactly! Well, eventually the seafoam seeds inside Ayoha transformed into a child, and so she gave birth to the god Kernunos. However, giving birth to a god is pretty painful. <laughs> Giving birth to anything is pretty painful, from what I've heard. Quite so, and this case was no different. So, in her agony, Ayoha just straight up ripped a giant piece of bark from this sacred oak tree and just threw it into the sea. Which, honestly ma'am, that's a huge mood right there. Fair enough. I know that some um, deer species actually like chew off like aspen bark because there's actually kind of painkiller in there. You know, that really would not surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> well, this piece of wood was actually very special because it sank to the bottom of the briny depths and from it came a number of deep sea giants. Kernunos, plagued with only child syndrome, eventually felt lonely and outnumbered by the sea giants that spawned from this piece of oak. I mean, isn't his mom also, like, a straight-up horse? So, like, he's just, like, completely alone, like, the only one of his kind. Exactly. Well, he wanted to share gifts with other people and not just his mom, because your mom can only post your artwork on the fridge so many times before it starts to get a bit old and less special to you. Hmm. So, since he wanted to share his gifts with others, he and his mother created four more gods. Maponos, the god of youth, Tyranis, the god of thunder, Dotates, the protector, and Epona, the goddess of fertility. I actually found Tyrannus's name particularly interesting given its similarities to Thor. And this can actually be changed from the original name due to Roman translation, and I would like to note on the site that Viking invasions of Britain didn't occur until around 793 AD, so hundreds of years after the Roman invasion. So given that the story is French or Gallic in origin, I believe this similarity in Tyrannus and Thor would be less likely to come from direct Norse influence and more likely the Roman association with those. So it could be in connection with the Norse, but whether the Norse influenced the Romans or vice versa is kind of up in the air. I mean, there's also the possibility that the Celts had like proximity to the Norse because just geographically, they probably had like pretty close to that area. So they likely did at least some sort of trade. And with trade usually comes storytelling as well. So it could have been influenced, but I don't know enough about the history or anything to know for sure. Pre-Viking era, yes, that definitely is a possibility. Back to the story, these gods lived in harmony for a while, but as our children grew up, Ayoha began to miss the sea that she was birthed from. So she returned to her life as a seafoam mare and became Tethra, goddess of the deep. God, I wish I could just disappear into the sea and start a totally new life. Oh, that makes two of us. <laughs> With their mother gone and very oh-so-lucky and enjoying her new life in the briny depths, <laughs> the gods needed someone else to tell them that they did a good job on their art projects, <laughs> so they created the first man and woman. Yeehaw. This was stated to be more of a collaboration between all the gods as I could find, hmm. but it was likely spearheaded by Kernunos. Mm -hmm. And similar to Norse mythology, the gods did use bark from the sacred oak tree to create the humans. Oh, very neat. 
Kernunos then made all the other animals from more oak bark and ordered the tree to grow into a beautiful forest to house his children and animals. Yay! The other gods also used bark from the oak tree to fashion their own creations. Epona made horses and dedicated them to her mother, the sea mare. Totates made clubs and a bow and arrow. I mean, I too could make these with, like, a little bit of instruction. Look, there's always that one kid in the family. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> and Totates just might have been that kid. Charanus made thunderbolts. I mean, what else were you expecting as the god of thunder? Yeah. And Mapinos made a harp. My personal favorite. <laughs> yeah. I love animals and, you know, horses and whatnot, but harp. Music. My love. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the deep-sea giants that came from this piece of oak and were living in these uh, dark, stormy, briny depths were pretty jealous of the harmonious paradise that the gods had just created. So, in typical giant fashion, they decided to attack the forest and destroy it for once and for all. This actually seems like kind of similar to the Norse mythos where like the giants are chaos and destruction, whereas the gods are more order and creation and stuff. Precisely. So, again, another Norse mythos tie-in. Well, as the battle went on, this one great oak tree protected the gods and goddesses. Just the one oak tree? <laughs> yes, it was the sacred oak tree. I mean, this tree was able to birth all animals and humans and created just about anything that you can imagine, so why not protect the gods? That sounds about right. Can we still find this oak tree? Probably not. I'm betting that it was deforested some time ago. <laughs> yeah. So if there's a magical house out there somewhere, who knows where, but it's out there. <laughs> Your house is alive. Exactly. Not just ghosts. <laughs> it's creating all manner of things. Who knows what's next? Mm. While this oak tree was protecting these gods and goddesses, the gods and goddesses had to work together. And by gods and goddesses, I mean just the gods. Let's yeah, be honest sounds here. sounds about right. So, Tyrannus threw thunderbolts at the place where the land met the sea and separated them forever. I don't know how well that works out these days, especially given the tides and global warming just kind of coming back. I think that going along with this version of the Celtic creation story, I think the giants might be coming back a little bit. Whoops. Oh no. Well, after the land and sea were separated, Maponos split the sky open and he threw it at the giants. Oh. Someone has to be the absolute over-the-top chaotic. Yeah. And in this case, it's the god of youth. We would expect nothing less. Yeah, sounds about right. Then Totates used his bow and arrows. See, they came in handy, Mom! To drive <laughs> the giants back into the sea because None he was of the such clubs, a good shot. Though? I have no idea what happened to the clubs. Maybe he gave them to the humans, or maybe he found out, oh, anyone can make these. Whoops. Oopsies. <laughs> when all was said and done, the gods looked at their former paradise and found it all but destroyed. Because, gee, it was just attacked by some sea giants. And Who would have guessed? protecting it by dropping the sky. <laughs> <laughs> exactly! You had the help of one tree. What were you expecting, y'all? Actually, maybe the tree died from this. <laughs> well, it actually could have, yes. <laughs> Epona, the goddess who was conveniently not mentioned in driving the giants back, had held a deep love of all living things, and she had actually managed to save one man and one woman. I love her. Truly. Just a deep love of all living things. Me too. Truly, she is my favorite character throughout this entire story. Well, except for maybe Ayoha, because she was able to follow her dreams, but you know. Yeah. Back to Epona. Thanks to her efforts, these two humans actually went on to repopulate the entire Earth. 
ending this story, I find the differences in the Celtic creation stories very interesting. Because again, this was just one of three main stories that I could find. So for example, this story doesn't mention anything about heaven or hell. Another popular creation story on the contrast, called A Tale of Great Love, is centered around the creation of heaven and the other world, which isn't quite hell, but a form of afterlife, as well as the creation of humans. This was probably, like, heavily influenced by, like, Christians. Oh, absolutely. I found a lot of different tie-ins in that story, in particular, to Greek mythology, as well as um, Christian Genesis. Hmm. Now, the third popular creation story is literally only a paragraph, and it centers around how there was a giant ice giant during the first winter, and then how fire came along and melted him, and that giant became the world. So, again, with the dragon slaying, and the dragon literally becomes the earth. Yeah. Which we've seen in a few other creation stories by now. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's my turn to have the four elements of the creation stories. So I'll mostly focus on this creation story, but I'll, like, put in a few things about the other ones. You know, for spice. Exactly. So with separation, there's obviously separation between the gods' powers and domains and stuff, as well as the separation of quote-unquote good and evil with the gods and deep-sea giants. As well as order and chaos, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, more or less. And just between the sea and the land. Quite a few um, instances of separation in this. Yeah. Then in the other two myths, you have one case of separation of the gods' powers, as well as one case of the separation of the dead giants' body parts as geological features, like bones for mountains, hair for forests, etc, etc. It's actually, like, really weird, because that does not seem to be an uncommon thing in, like, creation stories. For instance, ones that we've already seen are, like, in the Babylonian creation story, and, notably, the Norse one. Wow, who knew that was having an influence here? Oh, wow. <laughs> Gee, hmm. You haven't mentioned that before, huh? And especially with the Norse takeover, I definitely think that when there was that whole invasion in, um, around the 700s, that could have definitely influenced uh, some of the remaining Celtic creation stories, like the one with the giant. Yeah, and the writings. Exactly. Especially because um, this was more of an oral tradition, so very easily changed. Yeah, certainly. Then with succession of power, there's Ioja, who begins as ruler of the world, and she passes it down to Cernunos. Cernunos. You know, <laughs> Cernunos. And in the Tale of Love myth, the succession of power goes from, like, the void, basically, to the two gods it creates. Though more to the goddess than her lover, we stand. Truly. And then in the giant myth, there's not really, like, a succession of power, only there is frost giant, fire happens, now earth. Precisely. <laughs> then there's, like, the ascension of male over female. And this story, like, the ascension is fairly obvious. There's Kernunos, takes over as head god after his mom... Ioja steps down. Then in the Tale of Love, there isn't, like, super much, like, ascension of male over female. In fact, it's, like, the goddess who's, like, the ruler of heaven and her husband that goes through a weird series of deaths and stuff that continually separate uh, him from her. It's kind of male-centric, but the goddess in the story does retain her power. And we stan! And then in the giant myth, not much can be, like, super much inferred about gender, so it doesn't really play a role in the story. The giant is male, but, like, he dies. 
So not really much uh, ascension there. Yeah, and then the fire just doesn't have like a gender. It's just like there. It's fire. Plus, I mean, even if it did, it's not like fire gets a power at the end of the story. It's just like fire did a thing. Now Earth exists. Woo! It's not like Woo. fire rolls, rules over everything. So it doesn't really matter what the gender is in the end. Yeah, that's true. Now, finally, with Dragon Slain. This is very present in all three of the Celtic creation stories. Yeehaw. So in the myth we discussed, there's like the all-out war, and the gods do win over the giants, you know, slay the dragon. In the tale of love, one of the goddess's sons pulls a Cronus and cuts his father into pieces to save himself and his brothers from being killed. And in the giant story, then fire just straight up kills a frost giant to create the earth. So... All pretty prominent there, I would say. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, I do find it incredibly fascinating how different all three of these stories are and also how much they conform to the four main elements. So I personally wonder how much these stories were changed to perhaps fit these four elements as they were influenced particularly by the Romans. Mm -hmm. And as I stated earlier, one of the main goals when the Celtic lands were being conquered was to wipe out all forms of Gallic language and their culture and their traditions. And so a lot of what survived could very easily have been twisted and narrated by the Romans to more reflect their own beliefs, especially that of Christianity. Yeah. Which could have made it so that things like ascent of male over female or anything of that sort was more prominent in some of the stories. Mm -hmm. And then it's also like with the different stories, they did control a vast swath of land. Exactly. So they probably like, you know had different ones depending on where they yeah. were <laughs> and they all had different influences from different trade areas and therefore came up with different stories as we see how one has giants and not gods one has uh two gods and it focuses on love and duality and then the one that we went over just starts with a seahorse so <laughs> i would like to add that the seahorse is not like a, a seahorse sea it's a horse made of sea foam <laughs> yeah it's a horse made of ocean exactly it's really interesting it was made actually. of where the earth met the sea and so then the whole sea foam uh that's created like on the beach that turned into a full-fledged horse and then the oak tree is just like all right we're gonna drop some seeds made out of sea because that makes sense i come from the land but who cares <laughs> yeah it is kind of interesting, though, because that means that both the Celts and the Greeks believe that horses were formed from the ocean, because in the, Greek myth in the Greek story, the horses actually came out of the ocean. Given some of the tie-ins with Greek mythology that I found throughout some of the Celtic stories, I would definitely believe that Greek mythology had a pretty large influence on Celtic mythology, especially in terms of the creation stories. Yeah, they probably did trade at some points. I mean, you did have the whole Kronos thing, so. Mm -hmm. They probably did do a fair amount of just trade. Exactly. The culture and religion of the Celts was definitely an integral part of you know, the Celtic and Gallic way of life, and there are so many fascinating stories and rituals that we will basically never know of, as they have been lost to millennia-old battles. And I just find that incredibly saddening, in a way, that we will never know this oral history that basically left nothing behind. Yeah, it's kind of tragic. There are other, like, societies like that. Like, I know that there are some um, texts or something in... I believe India, where we don't even know the language that they're from, so that we have no hope of translating them. 
And I will end this off just by saying, because I find these so fascinating, I definitely recommend that you read all three stories for yourselves. The other two creation stories are incredibly short, one a paragraph and one basically a page. And this one mostly comes from Gaul or, you know, as it's known now, France. Well, next time we will be going into Wiccan with me as the main focus again. Uh, missed being the star, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll catch you all next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks.